You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Yeah, I should have mentioned uh, during our announcements, we do have a special guest who I want to acknowledge. Uh, Todd Jones, a former senior pastor of our congregation, is here with us in worship, visiting his son Josh and grandson Ben, uh, who are here in worship together. I mention it too because I want to make a little bit of a plug. Uh, On April 30th, we're going to be celebrating as a church what we're calling homecoming. And uh, one of the really exciting things about our congregation, not every congregation has this, uh, most of our most recent senior pastors are still living and are still around. And we are so thrilled to have both Todd and David Rennick and then Tom Evans are going to return. And we're going to have a day of worship together on Sunday, April 30th. And then we're going to have a big old lunch out on the church lawn afterwards. Old style, homecoming. It's going to be a blast. So we hope that you'll come back and join us. And Todd, we're grateful for your uh, willingness to join us for that day as well. As I mentioned during the announcements, we are uh, in the middle of the Lenten season. Today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. And here at First Presbyterian, we have embarked upon a sermon series that is exploring the cross. Why does the cross matter? Right? I mentioned on the first Sunday of Lent how I had been in a presbytery meeting and All the matters before the presbytery that day, from the most mundane to the most serious, had all taken place under this beautiful stained glass window of a cross. That's what we're asking ourselves. What does it look like for us to live our lives from the most mundane to the most serious parts of it under the cross? And the way that we are taking this journey is through the lens of Jesus' final words from the cross. Each Sunday, we're looking at a different word. So we began two Sundays ago looking at Jesus' words of forgiveness, how the cross is this image, this this invitation to both know God's forgiveness for us and to practice that forgiveness for others. Last week, we talked about and explored what it means to be saved What is this word of salvation Jesus offers us from the cross? And this Sunday, in this exploration of mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters, what does it mean to be in relationship? How does the cross invite all of us to deeper community, to deeper relationship with one another? And so let us continue listening now for a word from God as we hear the third word of Jesus from the cross. Hearing these verses from John chapter 19, beginning with verse 26. There on the cross, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, share with us your spirit once again. Send, O God, that great breath of life and of peace, that it might alight upon our hearts this day, that these final words, these hard words, would speak something new, something life-giving, for the living of these days. 
Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, our faith initiative to end child poverty had a quarterly gathering right around the corner at Mount Moriah Baptist Church. Uh, we were there as part of a collaborative effort that many of us are aware of, began about four years ago. Our congregation is a leader in this effort to end child poverty here in the city of Spartanburg and in the broader Spartanburg community as well. Scott Neely, the newly appointed part-time executive director of the Faith Initiative, he opened this gathering of 75, 80 people. I'm looking around. There are a number of faces who are there. Our church was well represented at this. He, he opened this time together with a question. And it's a question he explained that comes from the Maasai people of East Africa, where it's common for uh, one person from a tribe to greet another person from a different tribe uh, with a question. And the question they will ask is, are the children well? Are the children well? One person will ask another, and the usual response to that question is, yes, all the children are well, right? No matter what hardships we may be facing in our everyday, day-to-day lives, we've still been able to care for and provide for the needs of the youngest and most vulnerable amongst us. Well, Scott turned that question on all of us there at Mount Moriah, gathered in the fellowship hall. He said, tell me, are the children in our community well? And we turned to one another around our tables and we had about 10 minutes of conversation. And it probably won't come as too much of a surprise to many of us that the answer that was shared around the tables for the most part was no. No, the children in our community are not well. Right? There was a guidance counselor from District 5 or 6, I can't remember which, and she shared about how most Fridays it's not unusual for a child to come to her office and knock on the door And say, listen, I'm about to go home and I don't have enough food in the pantry to make it through the weekend. Is there anything you can do to help? Another school worker from District 7 began to talk about how troubling it continues to be that there's so many students post-COVID who have come back from that time of isolation and they are still testing well behind where we would expect them to be on their grade level. Right? We talked around the table about matters like our caste ministry that, that go towards uh, motels and regularly find children living in these, these low income, these incredibly hard situations and environments that are not really conducive to healthy living for children. Or they find children in apartments that may have been designed for one family, but in fact have two, three, four, sometimes more families living under one roof. Right, I was sitting there around that table thinking about our winter warmth ministry. It's inspiring to see how many children we're able to serve each year as a congregation to provide a coat for them heading into those colder winter months. And yet at the same time, it's troubling that there are so many children in our own community who need coats for those cold 
winter months. And all of that was before we even turned to this crisis, this mental health crisis that of course plagues so many adults of all ages, but particularly our young people coming out of that isolation, coming into this world that is so saturated with social media and information that for many of us, we did not necessarily have access to or need access to until we were older. Are the children well? You know, in many ways, it occurs to me that Jesus there on the cross is sort of the definitive answer of that question. Are the children well? Well, no, God's children are not well. How else do you explain Jesus crucified, right? No, no, we're not well. And yet in this strange way, the act of Jesus' crucifixion on the, art, on the cross, rather, and Jesus' own willingness to succumb to that death, it is this, this answer on the other flip side of the coin where Jesus may be saying, no, God's children are not well, but I refuse to let that be the final answer to the question. Right there on the cross and these three, these uh, third words, how would you even say that? It's not just one word. It's the third set of words Jesus speaks from the cross. We find Jesus saying to his mother, woman. Now, in the Bible, it's not unusual for a man to refer to someone of the opposite gender simply as woman. We find it, in fact, earlier in John's gospel, the Samaritan woman by the well. Jesus refers to this woman by the well simply as woman. What is unusual, though, is a son referring to his mother as woman. Woman, Jesus says. Here is your son. Pointing to the beloved disciple, John tells us. Now, many people believe that the beloved disciple probably was John, the disciple himself, but it's a little unclear. What is clear, though, is that this disciple is someone who Jesus has a very deep kinship with, a very meaningful relationship and friendship with. Woman, here is your son. And then to that disciple, he says, disciple, here is your mother. In one of his final breaths, Jesus is seeking to foster a family that is wider and more inclusive than simply his blood relations. Right? To be a member of someone's family, to be bound by blood in every time and culture, of course, has been one of the most important frameworks for any person's life. But here Jesus is pushing the boundaries of that, saying, listen, your family no longer is simply those who you call mother or father or brother or sister. Those relationships are so much wider. Right? Jesus teaches us on the cross about forgiveness, about salvation, but here too, he teaches us a word about community, right? These two people, his best friend, his mother, they are about to lose what is dearest to them, literally the center of their beings. And Jesus in turn is turning to them and saying, look around. You now have a much larger family. You now have a mother and father and brother and sister everywhere. This is your family in me. This is the family in Christ. Right? Jesus is teaching them that if you want to love me after I'm gone, if you want to love Christ, in other words, who we cannot see, 
then what you need to do is get busy loving those who you can see. Loving those who I love. To love Christ who we cannot see, we have to love those who Christ loves who we can see. It's funny, I came by the church uh, last Saturday, not yesterday, week before, picked something up from my office, and I rolled up, and there was a big old wedding party taking photos over in the courtyard between the chapel and the sanctuary. This is still a very strange phenomenon to me that I'm having to get used to. There was no wedding at the church last Saturday here, right? This was simply a couple who was getting married somewhere in Spartanburg, I don't know, another church, another venue, and they came by the church to take photos. I see it all the time. It's just, maybe it's not strange to y'all, I'm just not used to it, right? They come because the church, of course, is this beautiful backdrop, and we, of course, are obliged. We are more than happy to welcome and to host anyone who wants to come enjoy this beautiful campus that we are so blessed with. But still, what was funny to me is I walked through that group to go to the doors and go, and they honestly seemed for a moment genuinely shocked that someone actually was going into the church. Right? Because for them, the power and the beauty of the church was its usefulness as a backdrop to their photos, perhaps even to their lives. On St. Simon's, Aaron and I, we lived in this older neighborhood that was right adjacent to a United Methodist retreat. So I would walk the dog and run a lot through Epworth by the sea. I don't know if anyone ever has been there. But there's this beautiful old white clapper church, you know, live oaks. I mean, it's like Forrest Gump style, kind of beautiful image. And I remember every once in a while, I'd take the dogs for a walk on a Saturday afternoon, and they would have all the seats set up, not inside the church, outside the church, because it's just such a beautiful backdrop, isn't it? Think about that image with me for a moment, right? The church becomes more of this physical manifestation. I don't know if I want to go into it. I don't know if I really want to sit by someone and get to know them, and maybe they're going to tell me some of the problems in their life, but I feel really good about standing outside and just letting it kind of exist there in the background. Jesus from the cross, though, is making this claim that yes, our churches are beautiful, and yes, there is something powerful and wonderful about having facilities as wonderful and beautiful as our own, but the real power of church are the relationships, the community that is fostered within. Right, A group of people, Jesus seems to be saying, who, who treat one another as their mothers and their fathers and their brothers and their sisters. Heck, they may be able to eradicate something like child poverty if they really put their hearts and their minds to it. Right, a, a group of people who really knit their lives together. Who knows, perhaps they can go about the work of healing things like historic harms and injustices that their neighbors are facing. Imagine what a community people who model the kind of forgiveness that Jesus shows us on the cross for one another. Wow, what could that do for our world? Right, A community of people inside those walls, no matter what those walls look like from the outside. A community of people who knit their lives together like that they may even find the courage to fly. Todd, you may know this story. Others may as well. Fred Craddock, the amazing 20th century Disciples of Christ preacher, he once told a story about uh, stepping out of his front door once and he saw a nine-pound sparrow walking down the sidewalk. Imagine that, a nine-pound sparrow. 
And Craddock said to the sparrow, he said, hey, what, what you doing there? And the sparrow looked at him, and the sparrow said, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm walking. And Craddock said, you're a little heavy, aren't you? And he said, that's why I'm walking. I'm trying to burn some LBs out here. <laughs> and Craddock said to the sparrow, he said, well, why don't you just fly? And the sparrow looked at him and said, are you crazy? If I fly, I could get hurt. And Craddock said to him, what's your name? And the sparrow said, church. Right? Imagine a group of people who love Christ who they cannot see by loving those around them who they can see. Imagine where they could fly with the Holy Spirit under their wings. There's a young girl I know who uh, is named Adeline. Adeline was uh, big into 4-H. I hear something about 4-H around these parts. Adeline was big into 4-H, and she entered the uh, science fair competition once for 4-H. It was first in her school, and she won her school, and then it went to her district, I think, and she won the district, and then it went to the regional, and she won the regional, so she got to go to the state competition for the 4-H science fair. Big deal. She had this whole presentation that she made up, the trifold boards. They still use, I'm looking at her, they, the trifold boards still in. People still making money off those. I remember those. So she had the whole trifold board, right? She had all of her pictures, all of the different diagrams to explain her, her science project. And the time came for her to present at the state competition. She had worked so hard to get there. Her parents couldn't be there for some reason, but she got up on stage in this room full of people. She opened her board. She went up to the mic to say the first word, looked out on all those faces, and just froze. Forget how many minutes she had, like four or five minutes, right? Imagine four or five minutes I just sat here in silence. She couldn't get a single word out. Some people shouted words of encouragement. Come on, you can do this, Adeline. You got it. Not a single word. Time ran out. She stepped off stage crying. A poor parent, a mother taking pity on her, jumped up on stage and gathered all of her stuff and took her down. And the judge said, Adeline, would you like to try again? No, she said, no. She went back to the back corner of the room. About halfway through, the judge had a little break in the competition and walked back there and he went up to Adeline again. He said, Adeline, you want to try again? You can have another turn if you want to try again. She said, no, I don't want to try again. More kids went. And after the final kid, the judge turned to Adeline and said, Adeline, last chance. You want to try? Come on, you can try. Adeline mustered up the courage and she got her board back and she went back on stage and she unfolded it. And she stepped up to the microphone and it was perfect. Every word came out just right. All of the diagrams flowed naturally, just the way she had planned for the competition. At the end, all the parents, all the kids, they jumped to their feet and they plotted for Adeline. She didn't win, but she sort of did, didn't she? Are the children well? You know, when you have a community of people who cheer one another on, not because they think it's a nice thing to do, but because they meet a God in Jesus Christ who says, I know how sick you are, but I still love you. 
There's another way. Right? You can take these words and recognize that, that the family I have left for you is so much bigger than the family you currently know. Right? From the cross, Jesus asked that question, are the children well? And I think the answer for us is meant to be the same answer Adeline realized that day, which is that the answer today, it doesn't have to be the answer tomorrow. If the answer today is no, the children aren't so well, tomorrow, tomorrow is a new day. Are the children well, Jesus asks. Maybe tomorrow we can finally live the answer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.